Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jason at Hard Money Bankers and Ian Horowitz at Equity Warehouse with a very special guest uh, with us today. I'm going to introduce Aaron in a second. So today is uh, Monday, April 13th. We've been timestamping every one of these shows because things are changing. Things are changing very regularly here in the real estate investing space. So I want to make sure we timestamp everything because some something we might have talked about yesterday might have changed today. So the reason we wanted to hop on with Aaron, Aaron's been a friend of ours for a long time and he's a local real estate investor in, uh, I want to say the DC area, but honestly, he seems to be investing in a lot more than that. So we're going to bring Aaron on. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about, uh, first he'll talk a little bit about his portfolio and what he currently has. And then I've got a lot of other great questions for him. So Aaron, welcome. Hey guys, good to see you. Um, missed having the meetups with you guys because all the coronavirus, but uh, glad to have this thing going on for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you just give everybody a quick breakdown of who you of who you are? All right, so uh, I'm late 30s, early 40s, uh, firefighter in DC. Um, I started investing in real estate when I got hurt a couple of years ago, pretty heavily. Um, I have property. I just bought a small hobby farm in uh, West Virginia with 42 acres. We're building a. a a high-end house in Deep Creek. Um, I've got seven or eight other rentals stretching from Frederick to Southern Maryland. Um, I've been in DC my whole DC area my whole life. Uh, I'm pretty much tapped into anything I can in terms of real estate. Um, the only house that we're nervous about right now is the high-end house that we're building. Um, the uh, <laughs> the uh, the firehouse uh, that Ian is at is distracting him right now. He's looking at all the calls. I can see it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much tapped into everything. I'm curious to see what uh, what happens with the tax things this year because that's coming up. Um, I'll probably try to start investing heavily in that because of the downturn of the market. Um, if people can't pay their taxes, it might go to uh, go to auctions. Sure. sure. All right. So let's let's back up and we'll start talking about your existing portfolio, and then we're going to jump into uh, some stuff that you have set up or your game plan kind of moving forward. So you know, April first was a big day, right? Because that was when you know the first months of rents were due. You know, since all this has happened, like where are you with your with your rents on your your properties? So far, so good. Have tenants been paying rents or not so much? So I've got um, I've got everything has been good for me except for two properties. Um, the two properties, one is always late, so I kind of expected it from him. The second one, we had started an eviction process uh, when he didn't pay in January and February. We started the eviction process at the end of February. And they canceled evictions in March. So he's going to get away with January, February, March, probably April, May, possibly into June. And then the county that he's in is a three month uh, eviction process. So he'll get probably, I'll probably take a loss of about $12,000 for him. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's playing the system because once he heard that the uh, coronavirus is uh, stemming off payments, he's just stopped paying. But it was he wasn't paying beforehand. Everybody else has been good. I've got a lot of government workers um, that are essential in my properties. So uh, for me, it's been it's been good. But the areas I'm investing in is and the people we're picking, we're they're bid pretty strongly. Um, I know a lot of people just kind of throw the properties they have to a property manager and say put somebody in there. Um, but this is where Section Eight might be a good option for you or uh, a good vetting process is. Yeah, good. yeah, good stuff. So, are most of your tenants retail tenants? Um, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got military. I've got government. I've got um, government who can work from home, essential employees. I've got uh, um, a lady who pays by the money she gets on from her 
um, divorce. Um, I've just everybody I've got is pretty solid in terms of like their history of uh, of uh, um, of work. So we vet them pretty hard. Like make sure that it's not a job as a fly by night that can get taken away within a year. The guy that uh, is not paying the one we were going through the evictions. He's um, he's probably the worst we've had um, just because. I didn't do a good enough job betting them and my pro- took my property manager's word for it. And my property manager is fantastic. I'm not taking a slight at him at all. Um, it's just, he looked great on paper, but when it came down to paying, he just stopped. So. Sure. I've been doing you for a while and I know one thing to, uh, you know, your portfolio in general is you're very hands on with it compared to, I think some other people. And yeah, I would say you probably have one of the most unusual portfolios. But what I mean by that is very diverse into so many different asset classes. Yeah. Um, hey, there's this church coming on the market. I should go take a look at it or a lighthouse or whatever the case is, <laughs> you know, um, which is interesting. And it, and it's and, it, and it's good. Um, but I do know that, you know, some of the projects that you've been involved in, you're a little bit more hands on and. Um, you know, you, you, you spend spend that extra time with it, which I think is super powerful, especially right now. Um, you know, so you can do workouts. Ian, do you have any uh, particular questions? I'm going to unmute you real quick. Do you have any particular questions for Aaron and then we'll keep moving? Yeah, uh, just real quick. I think it's pertinent information. I know we're discussing how you're managing the, um, you know, the current situation with your portfolio. But for everybody out there, what's your normal, uh, you know, requirements for somebody to rent your property, whether it's uh, certain month rent or, you know, how do you normally look at tenants just so other people can understand kind of how you wound up in each situation. And I'm glad you mentioned that Ian, because before we got in this podcast, um, I was looking at Chase Bank is now requiring people to have a over 700 FICO score uh, and at least 20% down now. So they were doing, I think uh, recently they were doing three and a half percent down for primary ownership. Um, so I think the banks are going to start uh, uh, tightening the reins on all their, their loans just as a, as a, a safe point. Um, so the money's not as easy. It was, it's kind of going back to 2007, 2008 times in terms of, uh, getting money from the banks. Uh, it's just, I think things are going to change for a little while. I think they're going to bounce back just because of this isn't the same kind of recession as we had in 07, 08. Anybody who was around then knows that was primarily because everything was over leveraged and, uh, and overextended and people were overvaluing the houses. And this is a different type of reception, a recession. Um, but not to jump ahead, um, <laughs> when when Jason mentioned that I, I try to invest in a lot of diverse stuff, it's he's right. Um, I've I've uh, put offers on lighthouses. I've put offers on castles. I've put offers on uh, a windmill once. Um, anything I think is going to be a, a niche in the market because after 07, 08, uh, you look at everybody who jumped on here. Everybody who started watching HGTV started being in the investor mindset. Like I can do that. I can do that. And they don't have the experience or wherewithal or know the questions to ask. And that's the biggest issue we have in our real estate market is you don't know what questions to ask. And until you learn those questions, you can't really move forward with your uh, investing um, career goals. Uh, but when I've tried to buy the lighthouse, um, there's a lighthouse that's sold in North Carolina. Uh, it's, it's called a frying pan. And they were renting it out for somewhere around 500 bucks a night per person. Um, and they were making money hand over fist. But the cost to maintain that lighthouse was astronomical. So what questions do you need to ask to buy a lighthouse? You know, what's what's the maintenance? What's the turnaround cost? Does the government have access to it? Um, can they shut you down? Like, there's a lot of questions you don't know because it's not a normal 
purchase for real estate. But if I said, hey, Ian, hey, Jason, you guys want to go fishing at my lighthouse? What are you going to say? Really? Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. Plus, it gives you multiple options uh, with uh, potentially, you know, like if the short term market comes back alive, um, you know, it gives you, when you have unique properties, I think it gives you better chances to have more dispositions with it, whether it's selling it, short term uh, vacation rentals. Uh, if, if you want, um, I know we were talking kind of about what's going on, but uh, I always find it more interesting to peel layers back. Uh, the most recent property, didn't you just buy a property that had like two or three houses on it and uh, it was kind of like a two, two for one deal? So I've got two different properties um, that have multiple houses on it. The one has two houses and was waterfront. Uh, the other one was three houses and it's uh, uh, just outside or just inside the DC beltway. Um, so I'm a big proponent of multifamilies. Uh, I, if I could afford more, I would. I'd beat that drum all day long as long as you're buying for the right purchase price uh, or the right cap rate. You need to know your caps. You need to know your expenses. You need to know um, the deferred maintenance on the property, what it's going to cost to renovate and, and, and finance it. Um, I know you guys just bought a, a big multi-property out by the property I just purchased in West Virginia. Um, but you know how much it's going to cost to put a roof on. You know how much it's going to cost to put flooring in or, you know, redo drywall or plumbing, like your, your, your big numbers are going to be your roofing, your plumbing, your HVAC, um, and your electrical. If you know what those costs are, like, you know, the most, most of what's going to cost you to renovate a property. Um, if you don't know those, you know, you can get quickly surprised when you think an HVAC system that costs $3,500 is actually $12,000. Um, the house we're building up in Deep Creek, Maryland, uh, we're getting done by a, uh, a builder out of Pennsylvania. And they're, the builder is doing an upcharge of something around $24,000 to put an HVAC system in. So when we were looking over the numbers, one of the guys I'm partnering with on the deal does HVAC. And he was like, this should be an $8,000 all day long. He's like, they're, they're adding the padding onto it. So moving forward, this is the first house we're building brand new. And it's the first prefab house we're gonna be, uh, we've done. So moving forward, I know to look at the line items and pick and choose what I want to put in there. Uh, we're actually... They tried to charge us something of $7,000 for uh, granite countertops. And I know I have a guy down closer to DC who would make the drive for me, who can get it in there for closer to 1500 to 2000. So that's around a $5,000, $5,500 savings. Um, so when it goes back to knowing the numbers and knowing the questions you need to ask. Like sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Sometimes you just have to, have to ask somebody who knows the answer to it. Sure. sure. Question. Let's talk about construction for a little bit. Every time I talk, I got weird feedback. Um, let's talk about construction for a little bit. Have you had any issues with contractors or with construction or with building materials or labor currently uh, going on? I know depending on what part of the country people are in and what city they're in, like for instance, Philadelphia is tough right now because can't really do too much there. Although other areas of that particular um, sector seems to be able to do construction as long as there's five uh, crew members or less. Around here, it seems uh, most contractors are still um, are still are, are still working. Talk about your Deep Creek property, and then I don't know much about the West Virginia one if there was construction. And also talk about what your goals are for those two projects. Are you building a house to live in or to keep as a rental or what? Sure. So um, let's start with how busy uh, Home Depot is right now. Uh, I stopped by Home Depot the other day to put an order in for some equipment and stuff. And uh, it was like having Black Friday at, at the Home Depot. It was ridiculous. It was like a, a bad European nightclub with people with masks on the whole time. Um, when we were walking around, like people were trying to keep distance from themselves, but they don't really know what they're doing because everybody's so bored at home with, a, with their 
what they're focusing on now is that while I'm home, let's work on something. So now they're going to Home Depot and uh, backing up the process there, uh, which is expected. I mean, everybody wants something to do. Um, but in terms of getting equipment, um, I've now determined where if we're going to do big orders, we're going to have it uh, delivered just for speed. Um, it'll cost probably 75 bucks to have Home Depot or Lowe's deliver large quantities or a truckload of, uh, of orders to you. And it'll save you a bunch of time. Um, if you send your contractors to the, to the Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever you guys get your, your, your stuff from, you guys know that, you know, a 15, 20 minute um, visit should will what should take 15 to 20 minutes will end up taking, you know, an hour, two, three hours because the guys are, you know, looking around, walking around, waiting for help, uh, waiting for something to come back in stock. Um, so, yeah, in terms of getting equipment right now, uh, getting stuff, um, depending on where you are, the D.C. market is starkly different than Southern Maryland. Southern Maryland is starkly different than Montgomery County, PG County. You go up to Frederick or West Virginia and the market up there is very different from all three of them. So you need to know what animal uh, you're going to be you're going to be taking on um some places you can go and the stores are empty you can go in 84 lumber and 84 lumber is virtually empty right now uh, except for the contractors so if you need to get lumber then go there or call ahead um if you need to go to home depot with everybody else on a saturday or sunday then expect to be in a bad european nightclub um <laughs> so in terms of deep creek uh we're building a Five bedroom, three bath house up there. It's a prefab house. That means it comes in cubes. It's going to be built in Pennsylvania, and then it's going to be brought in on trailers. And so we, we're looking at doing either stick build or this option. And the reason we went with this option is because it's uh, climate controlled. Um, the standards for the build are better, in my opinion, than a stick build. And a stick build, when I say stick build, it means it's being framed on site and built on site. We're doing prefab one offsite because it's everything is controlled. Once it's done, it's done it's to spec and they can bring it in and they can drop it off and then they can tighten it up and, you know, attach it all together uh, and it's virtually done. So we walked around a couple of the ones that this company was doing. Uh, we're doing benchmark homes right now. And it was a, the quality of the work was better than a lot of the stick built homes that I've seen. Um, so we went that route, but the problem is because Pennsylvania is now shut down, all the warehouses are shut down. So all the building is shut down. So we had the lot cleared. Uh, we had the footers dug out. I think we dropped gravel um, and ran the sewer so sewer lines to it. But now because we can't put anything on top of it, it's a, it's a standstill until Pennsylvania opens back up. Um, so is this going to impact all the high end builds for stuff like we're doing? Yeah, probably. Is it going to slow down um, construction? I don't think so. As long as you have crews that can go out there and work um, and be distanced from each other, you're you should be good. Uh, the problem is, is there's a difference between commercial and real estate building. Uh, commercial is a whole lot more people in a whole lot smaller area. Um, whereas residential is usually a crew or two at a time that can stay away from each other doing different, different jobs. Your electricians and your plumbers can be in different areas. Your framers can be different areas. Your roofing and windows can be different areas. Um, so you're not on top of each other, like some of the commercial builds that we see in the DC area. Um, but the West Virginia property, going back to what we're going to do with the, the Deep Creek property and the West Virginia property are two different animals. So the Deep Creek property is going to be a short-term rental. Um, anybody who knows Wisp, Wisp Ski Resort or Deep Creek, there's a, uh, there's, they cut the top of the mountain off up there and they created a $26 million man-made whitewater rafting course. Um, it's under-marketed um, and it has a lot of amenities. It's a, one of the true four-season places uh, to get away to in the DC metro area. The next one's gonna be Massanutten. 
So Mazinutten for me is about four hours and Deep Creek's about three hours for me. So we got the lot for about 50,000. Our, our cost to build is uh, 348,000. Um, so we're gonna be all in for right around 405. I think the total number was and it appraised with the blueprints for 580 or 600,000. So we're gonna have about 170,000, 180,000 in equity. Um, but because we have the whitewater rafting courses in our backyard, you can literally spit off the back deck and hit the uh, the whitewater rafting course. Um, in the summertime, there's also a draw to go down to the lake. And then obviously wintertime is known for the Wisp Ski Resort. So it's a quarter to half mile walk from our back porch to the ski lifts. Um, so that's our plan for that one. That's going to be a partnership deal with me and two buddies of mine. Um, numbers wise. How did you get financing for that? So initially we got uh, Finance of America. So they're going to do, um, we have to pay the upfront costs and then we have to pay draws just like we do for hard money. Um, and then on the back end, we're going to refinance it into a LLC. So that's the plan now. We're already appraised, even if the market takes a hit, about 170,000 in equity, there's enough money to refinance and break even. So we'll get all, almost all the money back that we put into it um, through Finance of America, which is very similar to hard money. Yep. That being said, if I put this in my own name uh, and called it my second pro uh, second primary property and it wasn't a rental property, there are programs up there that do 100% financing. So you very rarely hear about 100% financing. And it's probably off the table now because things have changed in the last couple of months. Uh, last two times I've heard about 100% financing was obviously the VA for military guys and then USDA for rural housing, uh, the USDA, the US Department of Agriculture. But a lot of people don't realize they can get 100% financing at certain places like that are rural, like Southern PG County or uh, Frederick or certain parts of uh, Montgomery County, like the Western part, like Poolsville. So you have options to go out there and buy real estate for 0% down if you can get approved for it. Um, but the plan is to get out of this thing, get a refinance and get all of our money back out and then redo the same exact process on the next lot. We bought two lots side by side up in Deep Creek. That's awesome. Yeah. You definitely got a lot going on. It's, it's really interesting because it's going to be, I'm curious to see how the short-term rental market bounces back. You know, that you have a competitive advantage there right now uh, because skiing is going to be a great outlet for people. Uh, it's going to be mostly local people. It should be cheaper for people to go out and have a vacation. They don't have to do some huge extravagant thing. So I think you do have a competitive advantage. I know um, something we've been talking about is, uh, you know, is there going to be new cleaning requirements? Um, and other things along those lines. So uh, I think at some point here in the near future, as you get closer to the end um, or it's online, we definitely do a deep dive case study on that. Because I think a lot of people will find that interesting. The, the build to rent model, whether it's Airbnb, um, it's long-term rentals, there is a, a, a big model for that. Actually, a lot of big player retype companies employ that a lot because they can defer CapEx. Um, so we would love to hear about that. To go back to your prefab, um, I know right now you're shut down. Not that many people could have forecasted what's going on. Um, one, I know you briefly touched on it, is why the prefab you felt was better, um, not only because of the way it's stick belt, but potentially I'm assuming the, how quick it is to put together once all the parts are there. And two, with everything going on, do you wish that you would have gone down the stick builder out like because you could be continually moving right now so um i don't want to play the fence in this but i'm gonna to have to 
uh, on one hand, if you do stick built, um, you can, this is where it goes back to, you don't know the questions to ask. So you, until you experience it, like you might not ever know, even if somebody gives you their answer, it might not work for that market. So in Deep Creek, you know that they have snow of more than any part in Maryland. So that would have stood in the way potentially of us doing builds. Um, Maryland weather, we get, we get dumped on a regular basis, just like we did today. So, you know, it might be able to push construction off. So you don't have a very set timeline for doing the builds, which is why we went with uh, this other option um, of the prefab because it can be built offsite. There's no holdups. There's no waiting for the weather to change. Um, and that's a massive, massive, um, sorry, I've got a big dog sitting here trying to push on me to get in this camera. Um, <laughs> I've got a wolfhound who's as big as me. So when she wants attention, she gets it. Um, so the prefab house, it's, it's more, it's under, the, it's being built under the roof. There's no holdups unless there's a random 100 year pandemic that happens. You know, who saw that coming? Um, whereas right. a stick build, you might get stuck with, uh, you know, weather changes or, you know, whatever might happen. So going back, like, no, I think um, I'm very happy that we went with the prefab house because um, once Pennsylvania opens back up, we will be rolling again. It's just a matter of when they open up that warehouse to start the work again. Um, is there a for, for stick built? Yeah, there is. Like I got friends that build in Southern Maryland and they do only stick built because they control it and they're, you know, they're builders and owners. So they know if they build a house, exactly what their cost is going to be at $75 a square foot or 80 bucks a square foot to build a rental in St. St. Mary's County uh, or Charles County, which is where they operate at. Um, but they're also doing the building. So they know exactly how much they square foot for us. Uh, we're paying more per square foot to have it built off site, but we're going to have it built within three or four months from order groundbreaking to livable. Whereas theirs can be six to eight months, depending on weather. You guys remember a couple of years ago when we had all the, the rain for the entire summer, like nothing construction wise got done because everybody got stuck waiting for the weather to break. Yeah, no, that's a big problem. Renovations. You know, granted, that's what we do, and that's what we like to do is to come in and renovate properties. But there is always that level of unknown, and you've done a, enough of them now to to know that, and you you've you've taken a big risk away. Um, and hopefully, the pandemic has made this process even more predictable, which is very hard to do in the construction world. Um, if anyone's got questions for Aaron, feel free to shoot them over in the uh, chat. Um, anything from rentals to building houses to renovations, Aaron's done a lot. I know he's got a um, wildfire creations. He does a lot of cool, uh, I don't cool know, work decoration. Let's call yeah, it work decoration, whatever you want to call it. Decorations. Um, we have a flag. Granted, I'm not in the office today, um, but we have a flag made by Aaron that's hanging up. Um, they're really cool. Um, so let me talk about West Virginia real quick. Um, this is my newest acquisition. So uh, Jason and I were talking before this popped off. I bought a 42 acre lot sight unseen and it was supposed to be, according to the tax records, a 758 square foot, two bed, one bath house. So a small cabin with a lot of land. That's exactly what I wanted to have. A getaway spot for me, family and friends, um, just like my lighthouse concept. Um, just to, for somebody to get away to, you can kind of get away from the world and sit on the side of a mountain. Um, there's five neighbors on that side of the mountain. You don't have a whole lot going on around you, which is exactly what I wanted. I bought a site unseen. So shout out to Charlie Carpenter Jr. Um, he's on Facebook. He's a big wholesaler in uh, in the Western Maryland, Hagerstown, um, Eastern West Virginia, Panhandle. Um, 
So we talked about it. Uh, I bought it for $110,000 for a cabin and, and 42 acre site and scene. And my thought process was, even if the house is not livable, I can probably build a cabin up there for pennies in the dollar, even just a, a shack. So when I got up there, it was actually a four bedroom, not a two bedroom. And it also had a sunroom and a laundry room. Um, but that being said, the way it was built was was hillbilly. Uh, you're supposed to have joists that are 12, 14, 16, 18, 24 inches on center. This one was 36 inches on center. So there wasn't enough support underneath the house. Uh, the floor joists are rotting away because the house hasn't had maintenance in, in a decade. So um, I'm, I know I'm going to spend probably twenty dollars to $30,000 at least to get this house up and running. Um, but at 110,000, and if I have 30,000 into it, I'm only into it for about 140. It should appraise for over 200,000. So if I refinance this thing um, and get 75%, I'll make all my money back plus some. Um, I'm going out to buy a tractor today. With the downturn of the market, you see some of the stuff people are getting rid of that they think is is frivolous. So you'll see you'll see equipment pop up on say Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or whatever you shop on um, because people are now cleaning out their houses or cleaning out their stuff or they're trying to make ends meet so they're getting rid of stuff to make money. So I'm buying a tractor, uh, hopefully tomorrow, for almost half the cost of what it should normally be. And I'm going to have a, a mutual friend of Jason's in mind bring it up there for us just so he can see the property because he has a, his own kind of farm um, out in Montgomery County. Did you finance that one or did you pay cash for that? I paid cash for it. Actually, I um, used line of credit for it and then uh, I'm going to refinance it once I'm done with it. So I'll use line of credit to I use line of credit to purchase it. I'll use cash to uh, to renovate it. And then I'll refinance and get all my money back out. Smart. Um, all right. So one one kind of more last question or questions. Let's talk about market outlook kind of action plan moving forward. Um, are you still, you know, we, Ian and I have been talking about, we're very optimistic, but we're still very cautious at the same time. And, um, you know, we've, we've got our, both of our hands involved in some pretty interesting projects that, that are in the pipeline. Uh, for us to either buy, lend on, um, in in kind of the same same way, and you know, again, who knows what's going to happen a month from now, or a year from now, or or, or a few years from now. You know, there's there's obviously going to be some shakeup, and I'm guessing that things are going to end up kind of going a little bit for you know down before they they go up. You know, who knows? Right after this uh, economy starts opening back up, let's call it summertime. Who knows? There's probably going to be a little spike in real estate in general. Um, but you know, who, who knows? So that being said, like, what's your outlook? And, you know, if a good opportunity comes your way today, are you taking advantage of, or are you buying it? Or are you playing, yeah. uh, Hey, I'm, I'm on hold. I'm playing the waiting game. Or are you kind of lo looking out and be like, listen, if the right deal comes along, I'm going to take it. Now that exact deal I might not pay the exact same terms or I might not structure the deal with the same terms as I would have 30 days ago or 60 days ago, knowing that I know what I know now. But, you know, are you still uh, proactively purchasing purchasing, or, you know, do, doing things to put you ahead of the game? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yes to all that. So uh, here's the thing. In 2007, 2008, that was more based upon the real estate market and the massive crash. This one is based upon more of business. Uh, if we do have a crash, it's gonna be based upon business. So what happens when nobody works and you can't have everything opened up? 
everything shuts down. They move to the business in the DC area. I just talked to two friends of mine that own businesses in DC and they're paying something like 10 to $12,000 a month for their space in DC. So if they don't make the money in the first two weeks, then they can't pay their employees the second two weeks. They have a very set. Um, so I think this is going to be a more of a business economical downturn that will bounce back from um, than it will be a real estate downturn. That being said, real estate in the DC area is starkly different than say West Virginia, because I have property there now. I've been studying their, their uh, economy. Um, if a business shuts down there, like that might be their only lifeblood and they might have savings. They not might not be taking care of um, their financial situation the way they should be or have the savings that they should. Um, so yes, in the DC market or the New York market or Boston or LA or parts of Chicago, um, where the markets are really hot right now, people need a place to live. It's still, it's still a growing economy. It might slow down, but I don't think it's gonna stop and bust. That being said, if you're in Poughkeepsie, Idaho, where there's not a whole lot of job market right now and you own three or four rentals and the people aren't working, then yeah, you know, I wouldn't invest out there because the economy is taking a different type of turn. Um, you don't know when they're going to open back up. You don't know if these companies are going to bankrupt or foreclose on. Uh, so it depends on where you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I mean, we've been chatting with a lot of people on a related to this as well. And everyone's like, well, look at this news article, look at new, this news article. And the problem is, is everything's mostly on a macro level, right? So on a macro level, I think there's going to be major issues. On a macro letter level, I think there's going to be a lot of concerns. But if you're a one-off investor, you own a small portfolio, you can stay lean and you can pivot and you can change as necessary, you're probably going to be in a good spot because there's always a good time to buy and sell and trade and rent. Things are going up, things are going down, things are staying stable. We talk about this all the time, that as long as you kind of stay small and nimble, you'll, you'll be okay. Because let's be honest, let's say this property you just purchased um, uh, depreciates 10% or 20% or 30%. It's not the end of the world, right? So you have you have a few different place, things. Number one, you change your current strategy, right? Say, okay, well, maybe I'm not gonna be able to get short-term rentals because tourism won't exist anymore. I'm just making this up. So now I'm gonna do long-term rentals. Or maybe I don't want this property anymore, so maybe I'm just gonna sell it. Um, and maybe I'll take a small loss. Whatever it is, like there's a lot of different options. Now, if you owned, you know, whatever, 500 units, you know, back to back to back to back to back in one city <laughs> and something drastic goes down, you're going to run into problems. But because, you know, most investors that we know are diversified, most of them are lean. Most of them have a good balance sheet. Most of them have cash reserves. Most of them aren't over leveraged on some of these, these assets, right? If all your properties have hundred percent financing on every single one of them, you don't have any flexibility besides if, if something, if something goes down, but more importantly, if you have a rental, you know, if you have one rental and it all goes bad, and you lose your tenant, you're going to be in trouble, right? But let's say you have five rental properties and one completely goes out, one can only pay partial payments and the other ones are fine. Then, you know, if you look at the average, it'll work itself out fine. So uh, I, I would agree. I think most people listening have been very optimistic, but cautious. And I do believe that things are going to, uh, be changing, you know, kind of go, kind of go down. Who knows how much, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, we started the show by saying, you know, Chase is up in their requirements. Right, you know, if Chase offers their credit requirements. That means that a potential first-time home buyer that would have bought one of our potential flips might not be able to buy that flip anymore. Right, so that's obviously a big, um, a big unknown. Interest rates are still low, so that obviously, obviously helps. I mean, if interest rates skyrocketed, the banks stop lending, we could 
obviously have major issues because that's the liquidity in the banking system really has a lot to do with um, and dictate a lot of this stuff in, in the market. Because, you know, on two of the projects you talked about, your game plan is, is to refinance out. And in the past, you didn't have a problem refinancing out. And I'm suspecting you're not going to have a, re a chance to refinance out. But if you did have an issue with that and you had, you know, the wrong debt in place and you don't because you did it on a HELOC or with cash. So that was the right move as well. But not everybody are in that particular case. So I guess to sum it up, and if you want to add something to this as well, I guess as long as people are making responsible decisions, have the right capital stack involved in their deals. They're small, they're lean, they're nimble. Some deals are more risk, a little bit risky, less deals are a little bit more conservative. And as a whole in a portfolio, I think everyone would be fine. Yeah. So if you look at places that bounce back, so I'll use PG County because I know PG fairly well. Um, when the 07, 08 crash hit, a lot of the houses that they were building out there were over leveraged. They were appraised too high. They were giving, you know, stupid money on it um, for houses that cost, you know, $400,000 to build. They're paying $1.2 million for it. So if the market took a 20%, 30% crash, you know, what happens? Like you're underwater now for a long time on a million dollars. Um, and a million dollars is kind of a, the, the, the majority of the properties we look at in here. And I think most of the ones that we deal with, like all three of us and people, probably people watching are um, in that like two, three, four, five, $600,000 range. Like the million dollars is a different, a different benchmark for investing. So if you buy smart and you have 20, 25% equity in it and there's a market downturn, as long as you're still making a cash profit uh, or, or cash flowing um, at the end of the month, then does it matter what your house is worth? No, because the if you're making fifteen hundred dollars in rent and your mortgage is a thousand dollars, you're making five hundred bucks a month. Does it matter what the house is worth? No, it doesn't. So if you find a good property to buy and you're still cash flowing strong, um, go for it. That being said, uh, we've had this conversation before in D.C. that people would buy for appreciation because uh, I know one neighborhood in specific in D.C. It's, it's uh, Trinidad. I've looked at buying in Trinidad for a long time. Um, and I tried to buy a whole bunch of properties and they that you can never beat out the, the investors. And what they're doing was they're taking a loss of using round numbers, a thousand dollars a month for two years. So they're taking a loss of say $24,000, but the value of the properties were going up a hundred thousand dollars over the course of those two or three years. Um, so they're still making $75,000 in the back end. So if you're a gambler and you'd like to do appreciation game, then it might not be a smart move right now. But if you're buying and cash flowing right now, then the the value of the property might not uh, matter as much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, do your own due diligence and make smart decisions on deals. Um, you know, there's still there's still a good amount of liquidity in the space right now. It might not be the it might not be the types of loans that investors were getting um, months ago, <laughs> right? But they're still available, right? You might not get 100% financing anymore. That might just not exist, you know. But you know, that being said, money is still, still available. So, uh, Aaron, well, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, do you want to share your, I guess, your information of how people can get a hold of you and uh, go from there? Yeah. So you guys can follow me on um, on Facebook at uh, Hometown Heroes REI, which is real estate investing. You can email me at Hometown Heroes REI at Gmail. Uh, I have a group. It's uh, Prince George's County uh, Investors. You can join that. Um, I just started getting up and going recently because uh, when I saw the market, there was PG County is a different animal than Baltimore. They're both different than D.C. So I created a, a little niche in the market that was more focused on the area that, that uh, I play in. Um, that being said, um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm easy to talk to. I'm easy, easy to reach. Uh, if you guys want to pick my brain or if you guys want to sit down sometime when this is all over, then 
I'm all about networking. I think networking makes real estate go around. I agree. Hi, buddy. Hi, right, guys. Good talking. Jay, that was I think that's what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Did you hit? Did you? Was it funky? Did it sound funny when I was talking? Only when you're only when the headset was up near the mic, but you yeah, know, I'm yeah, gonna get rounded out by some sirens here for a second, but I'm still here. <clears throat> um, Aaron brings up some good valid points towards the end of that conversation, um, all the way through the whole conversation. But uh, I think we've mentioned it several times that you know having liquidity or having equity in the property is super important. Like you said, hold on one second, we might get drowned out. Sorry, Aaron. Um mute your mic now, put you back on. Hold on one second. All right, we're good. Um, but is that, you know, having equity, having liquidity, uh, not being over leveraged is actually a smart play. Um, and it's good to hear over and over and over again that, you know, 100 percent, you know, sure. Once you're refied and you got the thing cash flowing and you understand the metrics of it and you're building um, equity, you know, there's a time and place to lever that thing up. But from the get go to have your own cash in the game or buy the thing in cash or um you know, protecting yourself definitely diversifies your downside risk uh, currently with what's going on. Um, and then the other really big takeaway for me is that if I ever did construction, I would I would do exactly what Aaron's doing and lean towards the prefab market and really have a clear cut vision, a clear cut expense, clear cut timeline, how to get to the end. And again, it's another something that it's something else that diversifies the risk because as soon as we go back online for construction, he can hit the ground running right away, and his parts are there, and he can lay them in and keep that keep that game rolling. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, the diversification is is uh, is key to me. Um, I I I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, the reason I'm, we brought that up is Aaron got more of a diversified portfolio than anybody I know, but also he's a little bit more active than most people that I know in general. Um, I mean, he's a lot more active than we've ever been on our rental, on our, you know, rent rental properties. I mean, it's, uh, we treat them, I don't know, they're, I, I you know, he's got more one-off relationships with them and, and it goes, and it goes a long way. And, you know, I think right now is that's super important, you know, that, you know, you know, you have a name and you have a face. I mean, I haven't met many of, many of our tenants on our properties. I've met pretty much everybody we do loans for, um, but that's also my active business. But, you know, for each their own. Um, you know, I, I'm glad he's optimistic about the market. I'm glad he's actively still doing stuff. Um, that seems just to be a trend with, with a lot of people. But, yeah. you know, time will tell. I mean, I, you know, the whole thing related, for, related to, um, you know, the DC area and the major markets, he didn't use the word insulated, but I'm going to use the word insulated because I hear it all the time. Um, I, I agree and disagree at the same time. And the reason that I agree is you're right. I mean, listen, government's getting paid right now. Right. And a lot of, you know, and you know, a lot, a lot of them aren't worried about it. And that's where a lot of the job sources come from. And, and I get that, but I guess, you know, snap of a fingers, all of a sudden the real estate market just collapsed like it did. And DC area got hit really, really hard. Now you're right. It came back very, very strong and it's stronger than it ever was before. But, you know, in general, what goes up comes typically comes down and it comes and it comes down a lot faster than it went up. And ideally, if we were all in uh, the perfect world, we would just slow and steady, just, you know, just keep increasing, increasing, increasing and let it snowball up and up and up. And then there's no risk, no reward. And, you know, we were talking 
who are we talking to on this show that was in a market equivalent to that? I don't remember, but we were talking to somebody who's in a market equivalent that there's no boom and there's no bust and it's just kind of stagnant. And I, you know, ideally in a perfect world that would work. And again, the booms and the busts, as long as you're, as long as you're protected and you're, and you're making the right moves and decisions and what Aaron said, listen, if you have the ability to do the way he's doing it, Hey, I'm going to buy a property with my HELOC and I'm going to put some cash in it. I'm the one that's going to be taking the risk right now. And then I'm going to get proper leverage on the property afterwards. And don't get me wrong. I think someone who's potentially getting private funds or hard money loan or even a bank loan, you can, if you don't have all the funds to do a project yourself, you're still able to do that, but just be smart about it. You know, even if there was hundred percent financing out there right now, I still wouldn't recommend it. Right. You know, yeah, save, up no. some, save up some money, maybe partner with somebody if you want and figure out a, a good way to have real skin in the game. Not just because lenders are requiring you to have skin in the game, put real skin in the game. So you have that and you have that as a backdrop, because let's say, you know, you buy a property for $100,000 and you put down 40,000 bucks, let's just say, and the property decreases from 100 to 80, you can get out of it, right? You can get out of it, you lose some of your money and you're fine. Let's say you get 100% financing with no money in and it depreciates to 80. Well, guess what? Now you're in the hole. You might have to file bankruptcy. You're going to get a foreclosure. You're going to screw up your credit, which is going to take a long time to get to get back. Plus you gave some other lender or private lender or partner your word that you know, you're going to uh, pay them back capital. So that's so that's not something you want to be involved in. And listen, if you're tight on capital, let's be honest, it just it might take longer to ramp up your portfolio. You might, you know, have to do one deal one by one, and that's not a bad thing. You know, we talked about this earlier uh, a few shows back. I've seen a lot of real estate investors over the years that we've worked with, and it seems like the most successful ones are the smaller ones that do a handful of projects every year, and they execute like crazy, and they make a lot of profits on their deals. And their bottom line numbers are typically better than some of the bigger investors that are doing tons and tons and tons and tons of deals with very skinny margins. Right, and I, I, I think we've beaten that pretty hard prior to all this, prior to all this happening is, you know, be, um, don't do deals just to do deals. You're doing deals to make money or you're doing deals to be the investor, um, in the deal, you know, and <clears throat> when you keep looking at it, I think the reason we can remain optimistic during these times is that we have taken the time to dial in exactly what our investment model is. And I do believe that, um, I'm, I'm I got to go, but I do believe there's investment models for everybody. I got to run. We got to run and I will catch you guys later. <laughs> Just like that. When he's, when we're doing live shows from the fire department, that's what happens. Uh, anyways, guys, I, uh, appreciate you tuning in. Um, I'm happy we were able to, to spend some quality time with Aaron Foster today. Uh, he always gives us some good insights. So Aaron, appreciate you, brother. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, Ian, uh, after you get back from your run, reach back out and we'll, uh, and, and we'll touch base and we'll see everybody tomorrow. Um, again, we're doing these live shows every day to bring everybody up to date of what we're seeing out there in the real estate investing uh, community. We have a lot of good industry experts lined up uh, for the coming days and weeks. And we actually have an audio version of this pod, an audio version podcast of all these shows as well. That's coming live tomorrow. So a lot of cool things ahead. Stay safe, stay healthy. If you need anything, reach out to us and we are happy to help in any way that we can. Enjoy. Take care.